Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a lot to get into here on a Monday episode. We're coming to you a bit earlier this week, and it is a very, very busy week at Happy Valley. I know that's kind of been the theme here in December, but truly, we do have a lot going on here. Uh, today on a Monday, we're going to address the big news that surfaced on Sunday, which the confirmation uh, that Tom Allen, a longtime head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers and a part of this Big Ten East division for quite some time, is making the move to Happy Valley. Uh, confirmation from Lions 24-7. ESPN had the report first on Sunday. Uh, still awaiting the official word uh, from Penn State football, but expecting that uh, very soon, early this week. So a lot to get into there. We also have the transfer portal providing another commitment for Penn State, addressing a position of need for the team in 2024. Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting and transfer portal expert will be joining us here on the podcast momentarily to discuss that latest pickup and where Penn State is pursuing commitments elsewhere. The receiver position does remain a vocal point. It is, of course, signing day week here, the early signing period uh, coming up, coming through for college football starting on Wednesday. Typically a much more dramatic and and and, and grand deal in years past. But right now, uh, you know, year by year, this December signing period has changed a little bit and kind of its importance to the recruiting calendar and, and overall the college football calendar. And right now, it looks like Penn State's going to be able to avoid a lot of those dramatic moments. But we will go through updated top 24-7 prospect rankings from 24-7 sports as some Penn State players are on the move and a bunch of them are about to sign on Wednesday. We'll get into that more with Tyler Calvaruso. But let's get back to the biggest news in Happy Valley right now, and that is the anticipated arrival of Tom Allen as defensive coordinator. Jared Kelly covers the, covers the Indiana Hoosiers for 24-7 Sports. You heard from him about a month ago as we were preparing for Indiana to come to Beaver Stadium for a Big Ten matchup. Ended up being a lot tighter than many of us expected. Penn State prevailing with some late heroics. But Jared, uh, at that point, we knew that Tom Allen was potentially uh, certainly on the hot seat. And we wondered if Indiana was going to stomach that financial investment it would take to move on from Tom Allen. Before we get to how it finished for Allen in Bloomington, let's talk about the good times. Uh, when he had this program at its peak under his direction, uh, you know, back in 2020, we got a, a firsthand look at it in game one when Penn State went out to Bloomington. They finished the season ranked. I don't believe that had been done since the 1980s in Indiana. Whether you want to call the COVID year uh, legitimate or not, that 2020-2021 stretch got Tom Allen paid big money. What did it look like when everything was going right for Allen with Indiana? Yeah, I mean, that that was, you know, definitely the peak of uh, Allen's seven years uh, as a head coach at Indiana. You know, it's, a lot of people want to point to the 2020 season for obvious reasons, you know. Uh, but the 2019 season is really uh, when Allen kind of got the, the the ship righted and, and, you know, you felt things were moving in the right direction. They went eight and four in the regular season, uh, went to the Gator Bowl against Tennessee that year, and then 2020 – uh, you had the Outback Bowl against Ole Miss. Um, so that two-year stretch was really um, where you really thought that Indiana was going to turn things around for, you know, not even just the present but the future. Um, and a lot of that had to do with Tom Allen's, um, you know, defensive um, scheme, um, him and Kane Womack, who was the former defensive coordinator during the 19 and 20 seasons. Um, those two kind of just – you could just feel that those two really worked so well together. Um, in 2020, they led the Big Ten in uh, takeaways. 2019, they, they were in the top, I think, five or four. Uh, in the Big Ten and takeaways as well. Um, so those two work really well together. And when once uh, Womack left to take the head coach job at South Alabama, that's kind of when you saw things crater uh, from 2021, 2022, 2023. Um, and, and Tom Allen, you know, for, for everything that he did for Indiana, and you can't take the, you know, the 19, 20, 22 seasons away from him. But, uh, you know, the, the last three years have, have really been a struggle. 
Um, and you can point a lot of that to the defense kind of j- just collapsing under his watch. Well, that's something we'll get to. And and, and I apologize. I didn't speak. It was the 2019-2020 span that, that was so successful for Indiana, not the 2020-2021. Uh, but when it comes to to what he did as defensive coordinator, I, I, I'm not sure. You know, I think a lot of people forget that he showed up to town, not as a head coach, but as a D.C. And then he held on to those D.C. Uh, D.C. roles for a couple of seasons as the head coach. And they were maybe nationally the most improved defense the first year he got to campus. Uh, they were among the national leaders in third down defense uh, in takeaways uh, in, in 2017 and then 2018. So you saw that build up. And one thing that we have to address here at Penn State is he's going to be doing that with much different athletes. Um, early on in his career, what was the calling card, as you understand, for Tom Allen and being able to manufacture such a defensive turnaround? Yeah, I, you know, a lot of it is is luck oriented with the takeaways because you really can't manufacture. You know, it, you can you can try to um, you know do things that that help with takeaways, but a lot of that was really luck. Um, so that definitely helped as well. Um, what you see with Allen is is you won't get a lot of coverage pressure. Um, a lot of his pressure comes from sacks, blitz or sorry, blitzes up the middle. Um, he loves using his linebackers off of blitzes. Um, so I'm interested to see how that will translate to Penn State. Um, when when he first got to Indiana as the as a defensive coordinator, he came over from. Uh, you know, previous stops at Ole Miss in South Florida. Um, that's when Kevin Wilson was still the head coach at Indiana. And, you know, he he did a ton of good things for the offense, but he, you know, the defense was always a struggle. So bringing Allen in, um, you really thought those two could work hand in hand. And Allen, like you mentioned, uh, did a really good job at kind of turning around the defense, but it only lasted, you know, a year uh, with Kevin Wilson there. And then Allen took over as head coach. Um, so to kind of your point about, uh, I guess, the takeaways and, and, and you know, if that can translate, um, I think we'll see. Uh, I think a lot of it with the talent, like you like you mentioned, um, the height and talent will definitely help there because, you know, let, let's be honest, Indiana is not on the same talent level as Penn State. So I think Allen will definitely have uh, more of an advantage there. He can, you know, have more tools uh, in, in his back pocket. Um, and I think, too, with Indiana was uh, one of the biggest problems was their depth, right, on, on the defensive side. You might have had a good defensive end here, a good linebacker there, um, but who are the guys behind them? And I think um, that is really one of the areas that, that really – you know, kind of led to Indiana's downfall in the last three years. Yeah, I wonder how many second, third string guys on this particular elite Penn State defense in 2023 would have been starters or stars for the Indiana defense this year or in years past. And, you know, obviously he's going to step into a facility, break the ice with these guys, and he's got a lot of talent to work with. But when he does step into that room, and starts to meet with players and start to meet with coaches. James Franklin has routinely talked about wanting that head coach demeanor for his coordinator position. He feels like he got that with Andy Kotelnicki coming from Kansas as an offensive coordinator who had a lot of autonomy in his job with Lance Leipold at Kansas and prior to that at Buffalo. I'm wondering what you think Tom Allen can bring to this facility as a guy who's run his own program. He's not the CEO this time. He's getting back to his roots a bit as a defensive guy. What's your initial reaction to this fit and, and how Tom uh, Tom Allen's leadership tendencies, leadership traits lend themselves to this job? Yeah, I mean, when you think about Tom Allen's time in Indiana, I think the first thing a lot of people think about is, you know, LEO, uh, love each other, that, that sort of uh, mantra that he um, had, had set throughout the seven years. And, you know, maybe from the outsider national perspective, that whole LEO thing might have been a stick to people. Um, but, you know, being around the program, you know, that was very real. Um, you know, obviously, you had a lot of departures in the transfer portal, but there were a lot of guys who could have left um, who did end up staying in Indiana because they loved playing for Tom Allen. They loved, um, you know, they believed in LEO. 
Uh, and obviously, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be James Franklin's program and he'll run it how he sees fit. Um, but I definitely do think the, the, the relationship building piece is a huge aspect. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, having that head coach experience uh, will definitely help him. I think in, you know, when he was at Indiana, I think, you know, having to juggle so many different balls at once and, you know, not being able to, to, to focus specifically on defense, like he might've wanted to um, really set him back. And I think he was, he, he tried to do too many things at once, um, which is where you did see the defensive fall off. And I think a lot of Indiana fans were frustrated as, you know, Allen, he's supposed to be this defensive guy, defensive minded coach, where is the defense? Um, and I think you saw a lot of the, you know, NIL transfer portal, all of those, you know, added stresses pile up. So now at Penn State, now that he gets to focus solely on defense with this, you know, added talent level, um, I, I think, you know, I, I will be very interested to see how he handles all that. The remarkable thing of, of, about uh, taking this step is that he's due 15 million plus dollars from Indiana the next couple of years. And, and there's a lot of people in situations when you know they've been on this co college football grind. And for him, he'd spent a lot of years working his way up the high school ranks in Indiana and in Florida. And so you can understand why, hey, 2024, why don't I just reset the batteries a little bit, collect seven and a half million dollars. I'm going to get another installment of that in 2025 and then I'll figure things out. What do you think? What do you make, I should say, of his decision to kind of sprint right over to another high-profile, high-pressure job because he's taking over a defense that ranked number one overall in total defense for the NCAA. Many Diaz became a beloved figure around here, so it's not like you can kind of step into these shoes and hide away. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, on some levels, I wasn't too surprised that Tom Allen was was ready to to take something so early. Um, you know, I did I did question whether he might take a year off just because of the Indiana job was so emotional for him. Right. He loved Indiana. He's from Indiana. Um, so, you, you know, there was always a, a possibility that he could step away for a year, you know, kind of survey the landscape. Um, but, you know, for as long as I've been around time, Allen, he's a he's a tireless worker. He loves being around football coaching. Um, so, you know, just just him as a person, his personality, I didn't think he would necessarily be away from football that long. So I'm not too surprised that he. Um, you know, wanted to get his feet right back into the water. Um, but, but, like, but like you mentioned, at a place like Penn State where the pressure is so high, especially on the defensive side, um, that is that 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 it was a little bit surprising to me, um, you know, but he's also not one to, to I think, run away from challenges. Tom Allen isn't. Um, and, and I think with, with you know, now being able to, to spend full time on defense, he knows what his role is. You know, he goes to a program that's already established, um, I think he definitely has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder now as well, you know, to show that those 19 and 20 seasons were not a fluke. Those defenses can work for him. Um, so I think you put all those things together. I think Tom Allen is, is, is you're going to, you're going to see somebody who's kind of reinvigorated a little bit when he gets to, to happy Valley. You mentioned reinvigorated and that's kind of the, the vibe that we got from Manny Diaz the last couple of years, especially last year when he was just kind of really sticking his teeth into that defensive coordinator at linebackers job. I remember even last spring, last summer, before he coached a game, it was about going back to his roots, spending the day with linebackers, spending mm -hmm. the day with your defensive guys, not having to go race across campus to put out a fire or talk to compliance and all the stuff that goes in to the CEO job that he held at Miami before this. And like, Allen Diaz had a nice severance package that he left Coral Gables with that gave him some opportunities. And so going back to the well in, in some manner here is James Franklin. But I want to go back to, to the pre-Indiana days for Tom Allen to get a better, better scope of, of who he is as a defensive mind. Uh, again, working his way, paying his dues at some high-level high school programs in Florida and Indianapolis well into the 2000s. He ends up being the linebackers coach at Ole Miss in 2012 through 2014. 
Rebels go from the SEC worst defensive ranking to just about near the top of FBS teams for tackles for loss and sacks. So all of a sudden a very aggressive and productive bunch for the Rebels. He then goes to USF in, 20, uh, in 2015, helping that program, the Bulls, uh, go number one in scoring defense in the AAC. Also top 15 nationally in tackles for loss and interception. So that's a little bit of the position coach, defensive coordinator background. Jared, you already explained what those early years looked uh, like for him in that in that defensive coordinator role, in Indiana. So nice track record of extended success there at a few different schools. But I want to go back to the linebacker angle because mm-hmm. Any Diaz did a great job with that unit here in Happy Valley. And as much as he'll be missed as a DC, you know, there's some concern about what does that positional unit go next. And so, what do you think about Tom Allen's ability to help there? Because a lot of people call this school LBU, mm-hmm. not exactly a low-profile situation. No, it's not. And I, I think that kind of uh, Tom Allen's background as a linebacker coach by trade <clears throat> really did help him, um, you know, in, uh, in the interview process. Uh, you would think at least, um, you know, having someone to be, be able to step in right away and, and coach that room. Uh, you know, everywhere he's gone, the linebackers have performed extremely well. You look back at Indiana, um, he took some guys that were two star recruits, low three stars, Michael McFadden, Cam Jones, uh, Aaron Casey this past season, and he turned them into legit first team all big 10 guys cam jones mike mcfadden they're both uh playing you know in the nfl mike mcfadden starting for the new york giants um so you look at his track record if you're looking you know st- strictly at linebackers um there's not a whole lot that you can kind of uh you know draw question marks from shake your head about um, and i think that is one one area where alan you know if, if there's one area where 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 penn state fans can can at least draw optimism from i think it is the development of linebackers um there's not a whole lot in Indiana that suggests that that won't translate. Uh, and, and, you know, like, like we mentioned with the increased talent pool, uh, you know, and, you know, even though the recruiting um, possibilities there as well, um, I, I think, you know, th- there's a lot of potential there with Allen and the linebackers. We've discussed here the podcast. Uh, Curtis Jacobs is moving on to the NFL draft, but they're bringing back Abdul Carter. Uh, they've got Kobe King, two guys who have played at a, a pretty high level this year, especially as the season wore on. Younger components like KV on Keys, Tony Rojas uh, to monitor moving forward. Uh, but I wanted to uh, address the recruiting angle here, too, because uh, some people forget that for as much as Tom Allen has accomplished in Indiana as a college coach and a high school coach, he's got this whole other part of his career occurring down in South Florida and is able to tap into that a lot while not bringing up the, the, the best of the bunch and beating out Florida state and Miami and Florida for recruits. It has been a consistent pipeline for what they have done in roster building efforts in Indiana. Can you kind of speak on, on, on that angle of, of what maybe Penn state is adding here as well? Yeah. One of the things you saw with Allen, as soon as he took that head coaching job is he really made a priority to, to recruit the South. Um, now I know a lot of Indiana fans would have liked uh, him to prioritize the Midwest a little bit more, especially Indiana in-state. Um, but he did really make a, a concerted effort to go down to Florida, go down to Georgia, um, those kind of areas, and, and really take those players that, you know, maybe they're not going to take the top the top talent, but go find those hidden gems. Um, and especially in Florida, uh, he's really, you know, a well-respected recruiter there. Um, he sent a lot of his assistants down there as well. He built a lot of his coaching staff in Indiana, um, you know, around guys who knew the South really well, who knew Florida really well. And I know that's, you know, obviously an area that Penn State has um, had success with as well recruiting. So, uh, you know, like like we mentioned with linebackers, how that might have helped his case to become the D.C. I also think his connections in Florida, in Georgia, in those kind of areas uh, will definitely help him as well. And now, you know, now that he is at Penn State with a you know higher profile program, um, you might be able to draw in more of those four or five stars that he couldn't get at Indiana. 
schematically, James Franklin was pretty public during this process of not wanting to blow up what they have cooking already in their team facilities from a personnel standpoint. And he's kind of referenced the fact that he's had three different defensive coordinators over a 13 year span as head coach. And there's been top 10 defensives uh, consistently across that way. And as much as they talked about Manny Diaz elevating this uh, unit, they didn't want to go back to the drawing board. And so schematically, what is Tom Allen? You know, typically, I'm not asking you to, to go on the, on the big board and draw it up on chalk, but when it comes to Tom Allen, what are typically the things he likes to do, likes to lean on from that standpoint? Yeah, so for the majority of the time in Indiana, he ran a 4-2-5, um, which was heavily you know, focused on the linebackers, gave a, a ton of responsibilities to the linebackers, um, um, you know, moving all around the field, blitzing uh, in coverage. And, and, and we'll see if how, how much of that translates to uh, Penn State because ultimately is James Franklin's decision uh, what he wants to run. Um, but I think what you'll see with Allen is uh, a huge emphasis on, on creating pressure. Um, you know, I think with the heightened heightened talent level of Penn State, you might be able to uh, move some pieces around that he wasn't able to in Indiana, um, you know, get some coverage sacks and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of his defenses that were successful were really predicated on on forcing turnovers. And I know, um, you know, obviously Penn State, uh, you know, wants to keep that trend going. Um, but a lot of responsibility will be on the Mike linebacker, the middle linebacker. And, uh, you know, there are two specialty positions with the 425 that Indiana did run, which was the Husky, which is sort of a nickel, um, you know, kind of a hybrid linebacker, defensive back. And then they also ran the bowl, which is an edge um, and kind of an outside linebacker, a hybrid as well. So we'll see if those two things kind of translate to Penn State as well. And if they do, um, it could create a little bit of positional uh, mix up there. I, I do wonder how that how that will change the, the different depth chart rooms. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately – if Tom Allen is able to kind of refine some of his uh, philosophies uh, and, and start, you know, really getting back to where he was able to create some of those takeaways that he did in 19 and 20, um, I think there could be some success here for Penn State. Let's finish with this. It was a defensive coordinator search uh, that, that stretched less than two weeks, but there were some, some high profile names uh, kind of discussed when we put out our big board of names to know we were certainly putting out high naming, uh, high aiming names because James Franklin said this is an attractive job and they do have the financial ability to go out and, and, and maybe attract big time names. And so our understanding is there were other, at least another uh, head coach, uh, former head coach involved in this process previously during the offensive coordinator search. We know that there was at least one former head coach involved in that. So James Franklin was doing his diligence and certainly kicking the tires on some respected and established college football names for the, the contingent of our message board that is not thrilled with the Tom Allen pick. Um, and maybe we're leaning and gravitating towards, towards some of the other names throughout this process. What's your sell initially? I know you came over to our message board and God bless you for that on Sunday after the news broke and, and share some great insight. I know we appreciate it. I know our readers did, but our listeners right now on the podcast, what would be your sell for those out there who are kind of scratching their head or initially don't feel so rosy about this move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, looking at what you guys had on the hot board and, and who might, you know, the candidates be, I know Tom Allen probably isn't the sexiest hire um, that, that Penn state could have gone with. Um, but I, I really think when you look at his, you know, seven years in the big 10 plus his DC years as, at Indiana, um, you know, his familiar familiarity with coaching in the big 10 against, you know, big 10 offenses. I think that really helped as well. You don't have to you know bring a guy from a mid-major uh, maybe or a different conference that doesn't know the big 10 as well. Um, you know, you have a guy, you know, who's done it for many, many years in Tom Allen. So I think that definitely helped. Um, and and I, I truly believe that, you know, the head coach responsibilities that he had at Indiana weighed on him a ton the last three years. Um, you know, Indiana's NIL resources were nowhere compared to, to Penn State. So he had to figure out that kind of whole thing and how to navigate NIL. The transfer portal, you know, 
you could tell that the transfer portal really weighed on him. Um, you know, seeing so many guys leave over the past few years, having to basically rebuild the roster last year. So now that all of the all of that stuff is mostly off his plate, he can focus solely on defense, focus solely on what he wants to do schematically, um, and not have to worry about offense, not have to worry about um, you know going out and recruiting this quarterback, that wide receiver, uh, keeping this guy, that guy. Um, I think now that he has 100% focus on defense because of his familiarity with the Big Ten, because of his um, sort of recruiting chops in the South as well. Um, all those things combined, I think it, it does make him a maybe not the sexiest candidate, but I think it is a very um, sturdy candidate for the job. And um, I, I really am interested to see how this is going to play out. Tom Allen shared a division with James Franklin for the last eight years, seven of them as a as a rival head coach. And, and now we see him joining forces. We're waiting for official word from Penn State. But we appreciate it, Jared. Uh, do fantastic work covering the Indiana Hoosiers within our 24-7 sports network. And glad to call upon you here for the second time in about a month on a much different subject. Really appreciate the insight. Yeah, I appreciate it. And hey, uh, one thing I did see on Twitter, I saw someone tweet that uh, Penn State media, first question to Tom Allen used to be, was Michael Penix short or in? So. That's I don't know if I'm going to be the one to ask it, but but that is a very good question. And, yeah. and I'd be curious to hear if his answer has changed now that he's going to be having a different logo on his chest. Uh, man, we don't talk about that moment much on this podcast anymore, but this is the time to do it. Jared, thank you so much. Thanks so much. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's transition over to Tyler Calvaruso now because there's always things happening right now in the transfer portal, including a commitment pickup. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about some new top 24-7 rankings where we saw some movement for members of the 2024 Penn State recruiting class that's set to put pen to paper this week. But Tyler, as we bring you in and follow up Jared's commentary there for the last 20 minutes on the anticipated new defensive coordinator hire for Penn State and Tom Allen, I want to toss it over to you now. I know you've done a little bit of homework, a little bit of background on the potential recruiting impact here with Allen. Coordinators are kind of in their own category when you talk about how guys contribute as recruiters typically within a coaching staff. But what's the early word you're hearing on Tom Allen and how do you kind of project it forward? Tyler Calvaruso, we cannot hear you. Yeah, I'm on mute. Yeah, I, I didn't want to step on that. On there we go. We're good. But before we get started on that, I just want to say I remember watching that game before I was covering Penn State. I didn't think he was in. Just for the record, so our, so our listeners know, I didn't think he making was in. new friends. Nice. Exactly. So you got to do what you got to do. But uh, I got to asking around following this hire, and you know there were a couple of interesting bits that popped up in conversation. It was kind of what Jared mentioned. You know, there were there's um a general thought that. Allen is well-respected in Florida recruiting circles, in Georgia recruiting circles, mainly widely down south. And if you look at his Indiana recruiting classes, specifically the recent ones, you see that. You see there are some really high-quality gets from Florida, from Georgia, from Louisiana. I mean, Jalen Lucas, who Pense hosted for an official visit a couple weeks ago, was from Louisiana. So I mean, he has a track record of going down south and getting quality guys. So I think that could help Penn State, especially in Florida, because you have to think about the recruiting presence that Penn State already has 
in the Sunshine State. It's already a really good one, thanks to guys like Jaywan Sider and Terry Smith and just the reputation that they've built up for themselves in that state and the trust that they've earned from high school coaches in the state. Allen has a similar level of trust built up from his time at Indiana, so I think that'll be an impactful addition for Penn State on the recruiting show. And, you know, as everyone knows, I mean, the coordinators, they're not as involved in the recruiting process as the position coaches, but these guys, they come in and help, they help close all the time. So Allen will be involved to at least some extent. And down south in Penn State's pursuits down south, it'll help. And then when it comes to, you know, positionally, Manny Diaz, his focus was the linebackers, and that board is going to have to be revisited now that Diaz is in Durham, but turns out Allen's specialty is linebackers as well. So there's kind of a little bit of fluidity and continuity there. So I think you'll see a little bit of reshaping of the board. That kind of goes without saying because Allen and Diaz are not carbon copies. You know, they're going to have different preferences. They're going to have different thoughts on certain prospects. So you're going to see a little bit of reshaping of the board. But I think many of the names that we've been discussing early on when it comes to 25 linebacker recruiting, they'll remain in the conversation because the schemes are different. The overall skill set, what the coordinator desires is similar. Again, it's not exactly the same, but there are similarities. So we'll have to see what movement comes about at linebacker. But Allen will have a say in how that 2025 linebacker board comes together. Remember, one already on board with DJ McClary from Jersey city you and i will, will take a longer look at this defensive recruiting class later this week as we really put this 2024 class under the microscope it's, it's unfortunate in some ways because th these recruiting classes used to have kind of their moment all mm -hmm. on their own but we got a defensive coordinator search and a defensive coordinator uh being potentially introduced this week and and we've got uh we've got the transfer portal cooking and there's just so much happening where uh we will give them there a lot of time but i, I do want to note that tom allen comes to town and inherits three freshman linebacker that Manny Diaz called elite. He called each of them elite last winter when they were bringing them to campus. And Tony Rojas, who played a, uh, second most snaps out of any freshman in this uh, class. And then you have KV on keys, who is really for a lot of people, uh, the talk of the scout team uh, as this, as this fall wore on, he ended up being the developmental squad player of the year on special teams and on defense did KV on keys. And, and then, Oh, by the way, Tamir Robinson, who really rebounded well from a rough finish to his high school career because of injury issues, uh, to put together a, a pretty strong year one uh, behind the scenes here with Penn State football. Only Rojas burned that red shirt. Uh, so the future of that linebacker room, we'll get into that a little bit more along with the 2024 editions with you, Tyler. But looking at the future of the specialist room at Penn State, things have really built uh, in a hurry in terms of momentum and positive momentum for Penn State. December 9th, a couple Fridays ago, we got word from Riley Thompson that the NCAA had extended his eligibility through 2025. And this is a guy who was mentally preparing to reach the exit door with Penn State come Peach Bowl. Uh, he was honored during the senior day. So this is a guy who averaged 45 yards per punt. We kind of got into his stats and the importance of it coming back earlier. And then this weekend, Tyler Calvaruso, Place kicker is addressed in a significant way via the transfer portal. Yeah, Penn State gets Chase Meyer from Tulsa on campus and winds up closing on Sunday afternoon. He's going to come in with the opportunity to replace Alex Feldman. You know, it's going to be a competition. Nothing's going to be handed to him. There is talent currently in the Penn State kicker room that Stacey Collins has on hand. So Meyer's going to have to go out and win this job throughout the offseason. But you look at his numbers from his time at Tulsa, 17 of 20 on field goals last season. He was perfect between 30 and 39 yards, 3 of 5 from 40 to 49. So Got to see what the leg strength is like when he makes it to campus, but nearly perfect on PATs. He was 30 of 31. So Penn State benefited from Alex Falcon's accuracy this past season, right? And the hope is that Meyer will be able to come in and replicate that and, you know, be a reliable leg for James Franklin. 
and Stacy Collins. You know, Penn State going out and getting a kicker in consecutive years in the portal, it kind of speaks to the state of specialist recruiting. It just seems like the overall press preference really across the college football landscape is, you know, go out and get a guy who either has some FBS or FCS experience or even a guy who, you know, maybe doesn't have game experience yet but is a little bit more familiar with the collegiate ranks and, you know, just going through the practices and the offseason programming, things of that nature compared to a high school specialist where, you know, it's more of an unknown commodity. So I think you're going to see specialist recruiting the portal become more and more prevalent. And I think Penn state, you know, I checked in with people who would know a lot better than me in specialist circles, you know, about the thoughts on Penn state in specialist thoughts. And really, I mean, Stacy Collins doesn't get a whole lot of attention compared to other members of the staff. You know, he doesn't come up in conversation all that often compared to other staffers that James Franklin has, but he is well-respected in specialist circles especially see the work that he does with them and gets guys to the next level. So, you know, as long as really he's on board and Penn state continues to have success with either kickers or punters, it's going to be a destination for guys in the portal. So that's a plus, And you see it come together here with Meyer, who's really excited to get on campus. And also another thing, you know, we always talk about Penn state and the pre-existing relationships and the emphasis that they place on that. When they go after guys in the portal, Collins recruited Meyer, when he was a standout at National Power of Modern Day in California. You know, he winds up at UPenn, transfers to Tulsa, which happens to be Alex Falcon's hometown. So you got a little bit of a Tulsa pipeline developing here. But uh, there's familiarity. So, you know, him getting to campus for the visit wasn't his first time talking to Collins or meeting Collins. I think that helped Penn State get this done. He just really felt overall comfortable with the opportunity for him at Penn State. He's going to be coming on as a walk-on. But it goes without saying he's going to have the chance to earn a scholarship and work his way up. Yeah, Alex Falcons, by the way, was a walk-on out of Columbia last year. Ends up being one of them, a second-team All-Big Ten kicker, which I think tells a story about how impactful he was here yep. for Penn State. And by the way, I, I had a chance to speak with Alex Falcons on Friday at Penn State's Peach Bowl. And while he was giving us a bit of an overview on his journey at Penn State and, and, and giving some love to Riley Thompson and discussing some of the other kickers, he said, if, if I got an extra year, I'd take it too. This is a guy who wishes he could stick around Happy Valley, unfortunately for him. The book does end here at Penn State at the end of the season. And as you mentioned, uh, in terms of this addition from Tulsa, uh, they've got a guy here in Chase Meyer who is not going to cost you a scholarship, but they've got a room that already features a scholarship place kicker. And uh, Sanders Sahadak is uh, going to be a redshirt junior in 2024. He's a guy who got the first crack at the starting position here in the season opener. He went 0 for 2 on field goals against West Virginia. And then you, you, you see Alex Falcons take the job and run with it the rest of the way. Um, so Sanders Sahadak, we've heard he bounced back well and he addressed the team um, you know following that performance and you know it sounds like he has mentally recovered but we just don't know what it looks like when he's asked to make a field goal he's one for four right now in his college football career and the other name that is important to note here uh, and, and I just don't know if a lot of fans out there are quite aware of him yet but Ryan Barker was a walk-on freshman who came to campus this year we noted that at the open August preseason practice that we were able to attend, that he was the most consistent kicker that day alongside Zahedak, alongside Falcons. And it was a rainy night in Happy Valley. And we've just continued to hear good things about Barker stepping up in pressure situations on the practice field because they love to try to create those, manipulate those kind of situations for these play stickers during the course of practices. And Barker's a guy who has stepped up to that opportunity based on who we, uh, based on the conversations we've had with people in facilities. So at least three names there to know a play sticker. At Punter, by the way, uh, you saw Alex Paquetta, the scholarship uh, member of that of that group, along with Riley Thompson, hit the portal. He will continue his career at Rice. 
So you got one scholarship piece uh, at the punter spot right now. Appreciate the breakdown of Chase Meyer. There's a bunch of, of content on that at lines247.com. He's a guy we'll get to know more in the weeks and months ahead as Penn State transitions in that specialist room and across the roster into 2024. But let's go back to the transfer portal now and some other areas. This was one of emphasis. We said a specialist was likely to come. You know, the, the return of Riley Thompson, a little bit less of a sense of urgency uh, in the specialist department, but place kicker was an obvious spot. Um, receiver remains an obvious priority. And as we record now here on, on Monday, early afternoon, December 18th, no commitments just yet for the Nittany Lions at receiver. They've got one at offensive tackle prior to the pickup of, of the place kicker in Allen Heron from Division II level. What are we talking about at wide receiver these days? And I know we've got a, a number of names we want to go to, but where do you think we need to begin? You got to start with Julian Fleming. I mean, there's really not a whole lot to update, but I think since the last time we talked, those crystal balls went in and, you know, he's bringing pretty clearly trending towards Penn State. I remember ahead of that on those crystal ball picks going in, I believe it was Thursday night, if my memory is correct. Me and you, we talked about Fleming earlier that afternoon, and I said I felt good about where Penn State was heading there and just the direction it was trending, and I felt good about its chances of ultimately landing Fleming. I still feel pretty good about it coming out of the weekend. And, you know, I, I don't think Nebraska is necessarily dead. You know, there were reports elsewhere that Nebraska is still a contender, but everything that I've been continued to hear has pointed Penn State's way. As far as timeline goes with Fleming, I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, we're going to get any intel on that before he just pops with an announcement. Things have gone pretty dark on that end. So it kind of gives you the indication that he's in decision mode. But Fleming's not the only wide receiver on Penn State's radar. You know, we've talked about a couple guys, Andre Green Jr., who was at Virginia for an official visit over the weekend. The one that popped up on Friday morning was Colby Young, the Miami wideout transfer. We talked about him briefly on Thursday when he popped into our radar. He locked in a visit, made it to town on Friday, stayed through Sunday. You know, we're still waiting for a little bit more feedback on that. Surface-level stuff is positive, but we're waiting for more. You know, it's an interesting equation in the wide receiver room right now as well because you think about numbers. And, you know, Fleming, he's likely, but it's not done yet. You know, they put themselves in a good spot with Green Jr. when he was on campus during the official visit. But I, I've been told by multiple people, you know, you got to wait and see what comes of that Virginia visit, given the fact that he's from the state and that staff really, really wants him. So I got to see what comes of that. And also with Young, you know, he only has one year of eligibility remaining. But the caveat there is, I mean, he's a potential instant impact guy who can really help you in 2024. You know, he was a good player at Miami. He produced in his two years with the Hurricanes following his one year stay in Lackawanna College. And, you know, during that stay in Lackawanna, he visited Penn State multiple times. So yeah. he had some familiarity coming into the weekend, got with this new staff, you know, build a relationship with Marcus Hagens. So we're waiting for, for some more feedback on that. I do think Penn State covered some good ground with Young this weekend. But again, that's just surface level stuff. We got to dive into the nitty gritty of it to get a better idea of where things are at coming out of this weekend. But as for Fleming, I still like where things are heading. You talk about a guy like Young, guy like Fleming, you're, you're one and done situation. You know, they're looking for a fit yeah. at the end of their college football career. You're looking for a fit right now rather than maybe adding a de developmental piece, which is what Andre Green fits that 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 kind of a category coming out of North Carolina after a, a couple of years there. Bunch of eligibility ahead of him, but not much production yet at the college level. And I think to the fact that it feels like Penn State is really going all in for 2024. You look at the moves they've made on the offensive coordinator end. Uh, Drew Aller is down. You know, he's a junior. Nick Singleton is a junior. Katron Allen is a junior. Uh, I'm not sure what you're getting back in the tight end room. If Tyler Warren's a part of that, but if you get Warren back for one more year, you're not getting him back again for two more years. So there's a lot of pieces that feel like. Not sure what the offense is going to look like in 2025, but 2024, it feels like the stage is set 
and receivers the spot we continue to look at. And so now we're two weeks in uh, to the transfer portal being wide open for everybody across college football, Tyler. What, do, what, how would you kind of, I don't want to make you assign a grade here, but how would you kind of evaluate the process of Penn State at receiver, targeting guys, getting guys to campus, evaluating players, and maybe what we're going to see in the next days, weeks, without turning those into commitments, how would you kind of evaluate how Penn State has addressed it? Because I just laid it all out on offense in terms of what's coming back. We do have questions on the offensive line, but from a skill position standpoint, it feels like if you are ready to roll a receiver, the entire offense is going to be ready to roll. Yeah, I think it's been, you know, a little bit hit and miss because you think about some of the pursuits that Penn State was involved with. Jamori Macklin winds up at Kentucky. You know, Penn, he was a guy Penn State wanted and was in on early. They tried to get him to campus. It just didn't happen. You know, he decided that he wanted to stick or go back to the SEC rather. And that was something that we highlighted with Macklin really from the start, though, you know, that there was a lot of SEC buzz there. So kind of one of those situations where if a guy wants to be in the South, if you're Penn State, what are you going to do? You know, and then Donovan McCauley, the Indiana transfer that Penn State really, really wanted, he decides to go back to Indiana. So it's another one of those situations where it's like, all right, if he decides he wants to go back to the program he's already plenty familiar with and has been his entire collegiate career, if you're Penn State, again, it's another one of those situations where it's like, all right, what are we, what can you do? You know, so, I mean, they've missed on those guys, but they put themselves in a good spot with Fleming. They put themselves in a good spot with Green. You know, they're in it with Young. I think the process has been what it needs to be. You know, I think Penn State is going after guys who can make an instant impact in 2024 and also guys like Green Jr. who have multiple years of eligibility remaining and can impact you not just in 2024, but beyond that. And we got to keep in mind as well, there's going to be a second portal wave. So this process is going to continue. You know, it's not going to end with the three names that we're discussing right now. There are going to be new guys popping up in the equation moving forward. Marcus Higgins is going to be in on guys. So this process is going to continue. So while it might be too early to issue, you know, a letter grade or anything of that nature, I think the process has been good. It just hasn't really netted any results yet. And you know, obviously this is a, a result-oriented business. So Penn State's going to have to go out and close on some guys, which is it is in a position to do. We're expecting to actually hear from Marcus Higgins on Wednesday uh, during Penn State's National Signing Day um, press conference event. They'll make him available because he is the offensive recruiting coordinator and along to, along with the wide receivers coach. So a chance to pick his brain a little bit. A lot going on in that receiver room. Stay tuned at lines247.com from coverage of that whole day. Um, offensive tackle is another area that we had discussed in detail in previous episodes. And now we have more clarity there because Caden Wallace – announcing over the weekend that following Penn State graduation and a fifth year with the program, he is not going to be back with his COVID eligibility. Instead, he will be turning his focus toward the 2024 NFL draft. He will play in the Peach Bowl. Same goes for Curtis Jacobs, who announced his decision toward the tail end of last week. Like Caden Wallace, these are guys who have you know, essentially used all their eligibility, it would seem at the surface level, but then you factor in the COVID eligibility and do they want to come back, spend another year on a college campus? Neither of them made that choice. And so with him off the board at tackle and with us still assuming, and it's still an assumption right now because Olu Fashionu was asked at Friday's Peach Bowl, uh, at Friday's uh, Peach Bowl uh, press, uh, press conference event, whether he was going to return next year. He wasn't ready to really dive into that. Uh, he wouldn't even really get into whether he was going to play in the Peach Bowl. We know he'll be in Atlanta, but we're, we can probably safely say Olu is going to be making millions of dollars as a top 10 yeah. NFL draft pick, as a first round draft pick. So take him off the table. Caden Wallace has really helped his draft stock. I don't know where he lands, but he'll be drafted. Take him off the table for Penn State. 
Now you're without your two starting tackles. Bruce Shelton has experience in a starting role, played 300-plus snaps this, this year as the primary backup on both sides of the ball. And then you're working your way to a lot of unknown commodities, as you and I have gone over before. Alan Heron making his way up from the Division II level. He will start with this program in January, so he'll get a chance to get out there for spring ball and work his way through it. Chimdi Ono, Javon Williams, both have spent time at the tackle position throughout their freshman year. Javon Williams as an early enrollee, Ono as a summer arrival. And you, know, you start to work your way through it, and you wonder, is the transfer portal going to bring about a potential plug-and-play component? And when you want plug-and-play components at offensive tackle, get in line because everybody wants them in the transfer portal. You keep harping on the same name. I know he was brought up in your tidbits today as well. Where do things stand? I mean, he see, the thing with Chase Basantis is, you know, Penn State in multiple programs, they work to get him on campus over the weekend. And as far as we know, he didn't pop up anywhere, which was kind of surprising to me. I figured he would have been somewhere, but it didn't happen. So it's kind of, you know, up in the air what exactly – He's thinking and what he's doing. I mean, you pretty much just laid it out, man. Every program in the nation wants a guy like Chase Basantis. It is really rare that – well, not rare. I don't want to say rare. They're plug-and-play plug, and, go, plug and play guys in the portal all the time. But Basantis' circumstances are different because he's an underclassman with multiple years of eligibility remaining. You know, oftentimes those plug-and-play guys are either veterans or grad transfers. or either have one year left or two years left. So Basantis is unique. In that sense, Penn State has the relationship with Phil Trowin working in its favor, as we mentioned. You know, Ohio State's involved, LSU's involved, Oklahoma's involved. The list is endless. So, you know, now that the contact period has wrapped up and isn't going to open up again a little bit for a while, you know, we're going to have to see what Basantis really decides he wants to do. But I know Penn State is still in that mix. And beyond Basantis, you know, some other names have popped up. You know, New Mexico's J.C. Davis. Admittedly, I'm not really sure what the extent of interest is for Penn State's really going to dive in there. But he's come up in conversation. You know, he was an All-Mountain West selection. He's multi-year starter. So he's got the accolades and he's got the experience. And maybe that's a place Penn State pivots if Basantis decides he wants to go elsewhere. You know, there are definitely options out there for Phil Trotwin if Basantis isn't the guy. You know, Penn State's offensive tackle pursuit. It already got one with Alan Heron, who, which was a solid get. And Maryland's not giving up on him. And a bunch of other programs aren't giving up on him either. But he seems pretty locked in with Penn State. So I don't think there's anything to worry about on that front. But now the focus turns towards a guy who is probably more likely to help you immediately in 2024. Basantis is at the top of the list, but there are others as well. It's interesting because I think about what Penn State has added on the offensive line in the transfer portal area uh, era, and they're about to add a Division II player in Allen Heron. They've gone to the Lackawanna pipeline a couple different times to, to differing results, uh, so the junior college level. And then you've got some Ivy League players. you got Eric Wilson come in town for one year and, and start at guard for you after a career at Harvard. Hunter Norzad has been a starter for you at guard and center since his career at Cornell. But when you're talking about a player like Bastantis, uh, a guy who was uh, a top 100 overall prospect coming out of high school ball just a year ago from a program like Don Bosco, a guy who's currently the number 11 overall transfer portal prospect at, overall in 24-7 sports assessment, it's just a very big jump in terms, yeah. of, in terms of what you're targeting, what you're aiming for. And I'm not exactly sure. I don't know. It's, it's probably a moment by moment, but what is that costing you? What kind of an investment is that? Is that requiring? Uh, and and we know that Penn State and their NIL approach um, is a little bit different. They're, they're the, as far as what we hear, they're not big on selling an upfront package. They're more about come to town, prove yourself, and opportunities will unfold for you. So I'm interested to see what their ability to actually acquire 
you know, a, a top tier level coveted kind of power five offensive tackle prospect, offensive line prospect. We've seen other teams in the Big Ten go out and get some of those players. Michigan had, had a big one recently. But I, I, this just it's a different kind of realm, Tyler, when we're talking yeah. about offensive line. Uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm compelled a little bit by the, by the name you mentioned, the Mountain West player, a multi-year starter. Even that is kind of a, a, a step up the ladder from some of the guys they've brought from a competitive standpoint. This is not me downplaying J.B. Nelson and and also, you know, Hunter Norzad, who put together no. a really strong season this year. But it's just a, a fact of the matter that if you are going and, and grabbing a player who has started at the Power 5 level, you feel like as a staff, as a Penn State football community, you feel a little bit more assured in what you are putting on the field in the following year versus saying, well, this guy's coming from the Division II level. He's got a big ceiling. We're going to work on that. Or this guy's coming from the junior college level or Ivy League level, and we think he's going to transition to that leap of Power 5. It's just a different conversation, and I think it's 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 one that here in, in Penn State search for for fits here December mid December late December of 2023. You just wonder what does the war chest look like? Does that matter? Uh, and 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 all that stuff. And 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 from that angle, it's not something we've talked about a ton, Tyler. But what do you think Penn State is working with right now, and, and their ability to add transfer players and be competitive in a market that? right or wrong, often tends to get very fringe on the financial aspects rather than the football aspects. You know, I mean, there's a going rate for all of these guys, you know, especially the linemen. You know, the numbers that are put out there publicly, you know, they come across as crazy that they're not reality. In often cases, a lot of those numbers that get tossed around publicly, oftentimes they're not what these guys are actually getting. But, I mean, Penn State has enough to be competitive on this front and go out and compete on the transfer market and get its top guys. You know, is it going to spend like certain other programs that we see spend in the transfer market? Like, I mean, look at what Ole Miss is doing right now. You know, it seems like Ole Miss is pretty much operating with a blank check in the portal. Is that going to be Penn State? Don't worry. Program? Don't worry. None of those guys are eligible for the Peach Bowl, <laughs> by the way. They'll, they'll, yeah, that, that's a really good thing because they're getting some dudes down there, man. It's, it's really impressive what they're doing with, you know, the resources that they're working with. But is Penn State going to spend like that? No. Not many programs can, if we're being completely honest with you. You know, that, that's like a different level right now that Ole Miss is operating on. But they could be competitive for guys. You know, they're not going to get blown out of the water for guys that they want. The guys that they want, they'll ante up and they'll make runs. And it also feels like Penn State, they can, they're, they're, they're pretty quick to try to pick up on the vibes with guys about what mm-hmm. players and their supporting cast are, are looking for and seeking from this transfer portal. And Penn State, I think, has maybe been a little bit quicker to say pass on some situations right. than maybe other programs would, right? Um, let's look at the 2024 recruiting class. As I said, a little bit on the back burner compared to past years because of the two coordinator searches and the transfer portal and the buildup to a New Year's Six Bowl all occurring right now. But with that said, this is a group that that is really well reflected in 24-7 sports rankings. It has been throughout this cycle. And we've got new top 24-7 rankings that dropped this afternoon, Tyler Calvaruso. And I'm just wondering if you could kind of work through that, uh, where Penn State's commits landed and what your biggest takeaways are. You know, there wasn't a ton of movement in this update. Most of it was, and any movement, not one, we'll get to him in a second, but majority of the movement in this updated top 24 seven was Penn state commits shuffling around based on other guys rising and other guys falling. So, you know, if you, if you look at this update and you see a guy like Luke Reynolds, right, he went from 30 to 27 and obviously that's great for him. You know, he, he's the best tight end 
in the 2024 class. You know, that's something we've known for a little bit. That's great to him. But a guy like Cooper Cousins, I mean, he went from 121 to 122. I mean, that's not an indictment on him. That's just other guys moving around. The big mover, the one big mover, was a guy that we haven't really touched on a whole lot during this whole process because he's not a talkative guy. He hasn't put himself out there a whole lot. That would be John Mitchell, you know, the top 24-7 corner from Jacksonville down at Mandarin High. He made a 31-spot leap. He went from 156 to 125, and that's kind of just indicative of what Terry Smith has felt about John Mitchell really from the start of his recruitment. He was at the top of Penn State's cornerback board when Mitchell gave Penn State his commitment. And, you know, again, he didn't generate a whole lot of conversation, so he was a little bit underrated. In that sense, you know, Kenny Wosley, I mean, generated a ton of conversations, an Imhotep guy and an in-state guy who was a high-quality guy for Penn State. Guys like Mitchell, you know, they haven't come up with this conversation much, but Penn State loves him. And he loves Antoine Belgrave shorter as well. Those two guys are really under-the-radar gets for Penn State in this cornerback class. But, I mean, good for Mitchell. His, his senior season tape, it was solid. You know, that, that's what was kind of the driving force behind this. And he can play, man. He's long. He's physical at the line if he has to be. He's got good ball skills. So everything that Penn State and Terry Smith want in a corner, that's what John Mitchell has. And uh, just to go over through some of those other results, Quentin Martin. And by the way, other than Mitchell, nobody changes by by more than four or five spots, yeah. or one or two spots. But uh, Quentin Martin's at number 85 uh, from 82. Uh, quarterback Ethan Grunkemeyer at number 103 from 100. Cooper Cousins at 122 from 121, like you said, Tyler. Uh, John Mitchell, as you said, significant jump up 31 spots to number 125. And then offensive tackle Garrett Sexton uh, goes uh, at 178. He was uh, previously in the 160s. Uh, so a, a little bit of a fall there for Sexton as, yeah. as some movement around him. Again, this is more about attrition in the rankings than anything. And Luke Reynolds remains a top 30 component, a five-star prospect at tight end. He joined us a little earlier this month here on the podcast. And so, look, maybe not as many names as Penn State fans would like to see in the top 24-7 uh, representing this uh, 20, 2024 Nittany Lions class. But when we work our way beyond that group, and I, that I forget to mention Liam Andrews, the defensive lineman at 119 overall on this board. When we go beyond that group, Tyler, who's the guy outside of the top 24-7 that you think has the most realistic chance to, to become a, a big-time player at Penn State and maybe you know, maybe make us look back and say probably should have been part of that top 24-7? Now, I don't know if he necessarily should have been top, part of the top 24-7, but I, I, mean, I just mentioned Belgrave Shorter. He's a guy who I've really harped on throughout this cycle as, I think, vastly underrated. I mentioned Mitchell as a physical corner on the outside. Belgrave Shorter is even more physical, and his ball skills are right along with Mitchell's. So I think he's going to be a really good player for Penn State. So I'm pretty high on him. Dwan Lane, I think, is a guy who can really come along nicely in this Penn State system. He's a four-star still, I believe. You know, he's kind of just on the outside of that top 24 seven. So he's got that talent in him. I think Jalen Harvey can do a lot of different things for you on the defensive line. And as he comes together in his development, I think he could be one of those guys. I think, you know, and I talked about this when I did radio with Corey Geiger earlier last or late last week. I think T.A. Cunningham is kind of like a sleeping giant in this class, literally and figuratively. Because if you think about – his high school career you know, was kind of tumultuous. He was a five-star recruit early in his process. It looked like he was going to be one of the top recruits in the nation. And, you know, there were things that happened where he moved out to California, wasn't ruled eligible by the CIF. And when he did get on the field as a junior, you know, the tape wasn't as good as a lot of programs thought it would be. So there were questions coming out of that. Then as a senior, he doesn't play. You know, he goes back to Georgia and there's no senior film. But I think that the raw talent – and the raw skill set is still very much there 
And that's what Penn State loves about Cunningham. In addition to his size, I mean, he's a legit big kid. And he's only going to continue to grow and add muscle. So I think if Deion Barnes could get him coached up and adjusted to what it takes to play on the def- interior defensive line in the Big Ten and, you know, prepared for that mentally, I think T.A. Cunningham could really, really be a guy in this class. I mean, you don't start out as a five-star recruit as an underclassman on accident. You got to have something in you. And, you know, falls in the rankings happen. It happened with Cunningham for the reasons I laid out. I mean, the talent, I, I think it's still in him. I don't think it disappeared. And Penn State was, you know, so welcoming to him, adding him into this class for a reason. They, they feel similarly. So I think Cunningham could be one of those guys we look back on in a couple of years and be like, wow, he has really come along nicely and he's become a really dominant force on the interior of this defensive line. Yeah, I think I may have phrased the question wrong in saying, you know, not, not who belongs in the top 24-7 now, but maybe, you know, who down the road, was, yeah, yeah, down the road, what will over overplay their current status as a prospect? And two names come to me in the three star realm in this class: Peter Gonzalez, wide receiver, yeah. Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. We we documented leading up to his commitment last year about him getting back to campus, showing the explosive traits, showing his ability in some one on one work, and a lot of extra time with Marcus Higgins to make them feel good about taking that commitment and 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 relatively quickly after he suffered an injury that that kept him out of his uh, much of his junior season and 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 when what he did play of his junior season which was a significant amount but he was working his way back from from a knee injury right yeah. and uh so you look at what he was able to accomplish this year 23 yards per catch on 47 receptions to put him at almost 1100 yards uh 12 touchdowns he averaged about 100 yards uh per game through the air did peter gonzalez and i think when you just look at his physical frame kind of the way we're, we're charting this freshman class with josiah brown coming to campus in recovery mode from an injury and tysier denmark uh, coming to campus next summer uh, I, I i think with peter gonzalez not necessarily looking for a year one hit but I think you, you look his body of work, his trajectory, and kind of the cultural fit that I sense from him, I think it, it, it sets up to be a strong career for Peter Gonzalez in State College. And then the other name I'd go to is another in-state player from the opposite end of the state out of Imhotep and Kenny Wosley, right? And this is a player at cornerback, and, and you mentioned some really good ones that they're bringing to town. Um, and Terry Smith has a nice little arsenal of young, cultivated cornerback uh, talent from the t- current freshman class with two guys burning their red shirts and another waiting in the wings in Lamont Payne. But to me, Wosley is someone that we, we've, you know, just went out and won a state championship at Inotep. But we've seen him on the seven-on-seven circuit here. Highly, highly competitive guy. Tremendous yeah. confidence uh, going up against some of the better uh, players that we have seen, whether it's on the Philadelphia scene, on the camp circuit, and exuding that. And, and there are some highly rated cornerbacks or guys who have, have established themselves with maybe better measurements and intangibles. Um, but I just see a, a player here. I see a guy who, who loves to get after it. He, he's got the attributes. He's got the athletic uh, athletic uh, profile that's going to check off the boxes. And at five foot eleven, uh, I think he's going to be able to come to town. Maybe build his way up towards 180 pounds or so here, and maybe be a guy who does challenge, uh, like you know, f- for a year one kind of role. Considering what they're going to lose in that cornerback room, as you said, there's components in this class that could make that difficult for Kenny Wosley. But but those two players come to mind for me, Tyler, is just guys that when we looked at four or five years down the line, perhaps they have played beyond where they were currently ranked coming out of high school. Um, and these rankings are not final. Uh, we will note that there's still all America events that are taking place. And so you'll see a final top 24 seven coming from 24 uh, seven.com 
early on in 2024. Uh, we've got early signing period coming up in just a matter of days, Tyler. So we talked about the drama-free feel to this 2024 recruiting class. That is obviously a blessing right now. It's a luxury to have when James Franklin is wheeling and dealing, looking for coordinators and, and trying to recruit guys to his program from the transfer portal and trying to make sure his guys don't enter the transfer portal. All that stuff going on. What do you see uh, this week as being kind of the defining theme for this 2024 class now that we're just about at the finish line? Hmm, defining theme because it's just so different because I'm so used to having like the days leading up to National Signing Day being just filled with things <laughs> going on. And that's kind of like not the case this year. So I'm kind of like in flux in a sense. But uh, I think the theme is, I mean, you look at how many guys they're getting to campus early in this class. It, it's set to be, I believe, the largest group of early enrollees James Franklin has welcomed in his time at Penn State. I think that's getting more and more important in today's college football landscape. I think, I mean, and this has always been the case too. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here. The earlier you get guys to campus, the better off they can be. The earlier you get them in the playbook, the earlier you get them in the strength and conditioning program with Chuck Losey, they're going to be ahead of the curve compared to some of the guys who maybe arrived in the summer, and even in saying that, that's not always the case. We've seen plenty of guys get to town in the summer, and by the time fall camp starts, they're right there competing for a spot on the two deep. So it's really just a case-by-case thing. But I, I think it's a benefit that Penn State is getting so many guys to stay college early, especially a guy like Josiah Brown, who's now going to be able to rehab a knee injury you know, with the Penn State staff and benefit from that overall process. That'll be a boon to his recovery. Then you have guys like Ethan Grunkemeyer, who's going to be able to come in and start learning the playbook really early ahead of the beginning of spring ball. That'll be big for his development as he adjusts to life in the Big Ten, you know, practicing against defenses where you got guys who are power five pounds flying around. So I think for me, that's probably my biggest takeaway from this group, considering the fact that, you know, we're not expecting any fireworks like uh, Conrad Hussey last year, the first day of the early signing period. So uh, that's really it. You know, like I said, it's kind of weird for me. Um, I'm used to more going on this time of year. Be careful. You might speak some drama into existence <laughs> if you keep up at it. Um, we've got about 48 hours or so until the class is essentially wrapped and these guys have put pen to paper. We will be in the Beaver Stadium media room on Wednesday to break down the latest. You and I will regroup between now and then and put together some thoughts on, on, on this recruiting class later in the week. But we've got a lot more to get to uh, this week on the podcast and on the website uh, because of the breaking news aspects uh, in player with the transfer portal yep. and also still waiting for the defensive coordinator announcement to become official from Penn State and, and maybe setting the stage for an introductory press conference with Tom Allen. We are a little, I think the word you just used was in flux. We're a little like that right now in, in, in the week. So I wanted to make sure we got an episode up here on a Monday to cover up the news that had surfaced throughout the weekend. And we will get back to you ASAP as it makes sense with our coverage for a second and probably a third episode of this podcast during the course of this week. So Tyler Calvaruso, appreciate you for joining me, breaking down the latest on the portal, on this recruiting class, on the rankings. And I'll let you get back to it because I know that things are changing hour by hour. Got to let you get back to it, too, man. You got a bunch going on. I appreciate it, as always. All right. Talk to you soon. Uh, good stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. And prior to him, Jared Kelly, who covers the Indiana Hoosiers for our network here at 24-7 Sports. A lot on Tom Allen from him. We'll have plenty of coverage on Allen's anticipated addition to this coaching staff over at lines247.com throughout the week. I had a story up on Sunday afternoon about how James Franklin was able to identify and bring in his next head coach of the defense, as he has been calling it, certainly getting that with a guy who's been a foe within the division for the last seven years at the head coaching position. And additionally, as I said, Wednesday, we're going to have a lot of 
uh, availability. We're going to have James Franklin. We're going to have both the offensive recruiting coordinator in Marcus Hagans, the defensive recruiting coordinator in Terry Smith. We're going to have members of this recruiting staff who put in the work day by day and building out these units. We will get a chance to hear from them on Wednesday, and we'll get back to you with everything we hear from that signing day event over at lines247.com and here on the podcast. Again, we may get back to you before signing day with another episode, uh, but in case we do not, head over to lines247.com and enjoy all of our coverage on, on a really impressive group uh, that will be impacting Penn State in a matter of uh, weeks at this stage with the early enrollments due in soon. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast, wherever you find it in your podcast world, or if you tune in at YouTube for the video version, we really appreciate it. Catch up with you later in the week right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.